0: Good afternoon. It's Wednesday, the 17th of November 2021, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column News. Your host today, Patrick Henningsen.
1: Hello, Brian.
0: Hello, Patrick. Myself, I'm Geraghty. <laughs> We're delighted to uh, be joined by Alex Thompson, bringing us Eastern Approaches from the Netherlands. Well, um, as you will have noticed, Mike Robinson's not with us today, so we have some additional help in the studio and... Uh, Fingers crossed, all goes well. We'll see. We're going to kick straight off with the uh, report of the Remembrance Sunday bombings. And you've got a couple of papers there. Uh.
1: Yes, as we just graced the newsstand this morning. There's the first one. It's the uh, the Telegraph, Brian. And yeah. uh, as you can see the headline.
0: Suicide bomber was a Christian, which uh, we think is significant. And uh, one, one of the other ones that we chose was the uh, mirror. And of course, this one is the the uh, bomber was targeting mothers and children. But we wanted to focus in on uh, exactly what was being said in the Daily Telegraph. And so if we can, let's have a look at this uh, first slide.
1: We'll have have that up in uh, in,
0: in just... Just coming up now, that's excellent. Uh, Well, the interesting thing, we just picked out a couple of things that were said because This makes a huge difference to the story as being told. So the quote from the Daily Telegraph was that security sources were working on the investigation and they said that the motive for the attack was unclear. So that's a pretty clear statement that what happened was unclear. (laughs) Uh, They went on to say that yesterday in the wake of the blast, the UK's terror threat level was raised from substantial to severe, meaning another attack is highly likely. Now, I find this utterly uh, bizarre, Patrick, because if you have a threat level, you can't keep raising it to the maximum on no evidence because otherwise your warning has no effect. So in the military, I look at this and think, could I take it from substantial to severe when you didn't know what happened in the first place? Because the comment was that the attack itself was unclear. But uh, never mind that, let's have a look at another quote from The Telegraph. And this is from a counter-terror chief. Uh, A former counter-terror chief warned uh, that concern over a possible Christmas bombing campaign could be behind raising, raising the threat level to severe. So now we've drawn in something we have no evidence for at all. But of course, this is going to unsettle the public. We've now gone from no evidence to a possible Christmas uh, bombing. And then they went on to say it's almost certainly linked to Christmas. This could be the first of several. It's hard to believe it's a one-off. It's hard to believe it's a one-off. No evidence as to what this attack was. No evidence as to where it leads um, this is playing with the public mind, Patrick.
1: Yeah, so they, they they have no way to establish any sort of a pattern of of events or anything like that. So it's maybe, could be, possibly, and then they're saying, but we think it's part of a, yeah. a
0: pattern. So you have a debate when you look for the evidence to support what's happening here, we, we can't see it. And of course, The Telegraph goes on to deliver uh, two full pages, which we're going to label fear propaganda. Uh, because we've got lots of gory pictures of the car uh, burning. Um, Presumably, that's with the uh, bomber still inside. It's supposed to have ignited while he was in in the car. The taxi driver was lucky to get out. Uh, But uh, the uh, Telegraph really going for it with these pictures. And of course, all of the text in the articles is a created story. Um, Well, if that's the Telegraph's approach, let's go straight on to the mirror. And uh, that very emotive headline, Bomber who targeted new mums and babies. This reminded me of sort of the First World War propaganda against the Germans of the Germans, I think, bayoneting babies. Um, the police said he switched his deadly intentions to Liverpool Women's Hospital after his route in a taxi was blocked by traffic. Um, well, did he? They have no idea, but maybe their guess is right. And then a senior, senior former intelligence source said that the bomber intended to enter the hospital and trigger his device, but for some reason it went off early. So lots of supposition there, but now we've got a nice emotive thing. Uh, we've got a man who's apparently converted to Christianity.
1: From Islam.
0: Yes, well, so remarkable.
1: Incredibly uh, remarkable. That's a rare occurrence. Yeah. So uh, Um, you you should be particularly afraid of that type of convert, uh, according to the authorities and the mainstream media. Particularly dangerous.
0: Particularly. So we've got the Christians. You convert to Christianity, you become a bomber. But you're a bad guy anyway, because you were working for Islam previously. Uh, We've got a nice bit of friction. The reason we're emphasizing this, you will it will become apparent as we go on through the news. So let's bring Alex in because, uh, Alex, you were having a look at, uh, at this story from a slightly different angle. What, what can you tell us?
2: Um, pardon me for looking down and to the right, by the way, because I'm having to check my slides on another device. I think what you've got up now is the Irish uh, outlet gripped.
0: Uh, this is the asylum seeker bomber who the med- media neglects to say was an asylum seeker.
2: Thank so you. Yes. That's, now, that's, there is an Irish angle to these things more generally because uh, viewers have noted that the uh, there is an Irish-Belgian-Canadian TV co-production named Hidden Assets, which has just hit the screens. The Irish Times reviews it as a bit of a slapped together hodgepodge, but what's its plot? Its main item is a fundamentalist Christian staging a suicide attack on a fashion show in Antwerp, which uh, takes the biscuit for plausibility, given that Belgium is a serious contender for the uh, country least um, interested in Christianity in the world. But if we go back to the gripped.ie slide, now this is, of course... Uh, often called a right-wing dissident site. I know that labels are contentious, but the, um, the whole point of a site like this is people are letting off steam. And uh, Gript is saying that, uh, or the author here, Dr. Matt Tracy, uh, if you uh, tap it again, you will zoom in on a bit that says that the so-called Syrian refugee uh, allegedly perpetrating the attack in Liverpool, Emad uh, al-Suelmin, was actually a Jordanian national. And like so many others, and this happens in many war zones, one thinks of Albanians and Kosovars and so on, he, uh, having a similar dialect, simply took advantage of the war to pretend that he was Syrian. So with Vanessa Beely's reporting and others in the background, one might ask whether he was prepped for something right there, given the amount of Western spookery and troopery going on on the Syrian-Jordanian border area and uh, Dr. Tracy goes on writing in grips.ie despite being suspected by the British authorities as being a Jordanian, not a a Syrian at all and despite his having been convicted of possessing a knife in threatening circumstances uh, Imad al-Suelmin remained in Britain until he, well here's the mainstream version attempted to kill and maim innocent people with a bomb in Liverpool and uh, on the next slide I have a couple of uh, quotations from an email sent to us by a viewer uh, I don't have the footage in question, but this relates to one of the uh, pieces of footage played out on mainstream media um, regarding the uh, uh, convenient filming of the attack. And the viewer writes, so a couple of scousers, for those are watching outside Britain, that's the nickname for people in Liverpool, with a handheld camcorder or digital camera with the radio on, just happens to be filming the front door of Liverpool Women's Hospital from a window opposite, as you do, comments the viewer, when... By a most remarkable coincidence, a taxi with an alleged suicide bomber inside pulled up and exploded. And on the next slide, the email goes on. By a great feat of happenstance, they were even pointing it at the taxi as it drove up and had the foresight to pan and zoom in on it before anything had actually happened, so that the detonation was captured nicely in the centre of the frame. I wonder, concludes the viewer, Do those Liverpudlian gentlemen film every car that pulls up at the hospital from their window opposite? And just in closing from me on this segment, the next slide has a chap calling himself Johnny on Twitter, remarking sardonically, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. And in shot, I can't work out whether that's Manchester, Liverpool or one of the other um, uh, Christmas markets in English towns that are very popular these days. Um, The caption is accompanying a shot of what's become routine since the mid 2010s, machine gunned uh, armed police patrolling the Christmas market. So he's he's sardonically saying, well, this is the traditional site uh, that, that Santa is back in town.
0: Uh, thank you very much for that, Alex. Um, it's very interesting, isn't it? When we start to ask some very simple questions uh, about this uh, terrorist attack, uh, we look at the reports, we look at the the actual factual uh, points around the incident, and all of a sudden it's becoming a little bit gray and murky. What what do you think, Pat?
1: It just seems a bit random attacking a hospital, but then the, the takeaway from that in terms of from the, the government and the uh, various security uh, agencies will say, well, we need to protect the NHS. This is, they're targeting our health system.
0: And uh, mothers and babies. And mothers and babies. Yeah. So
1: again, it's under the, the wider, broader banner of protect the NHS. And so it's not just against yeah. COVID now, it's against uh, terrorism. And uh, and that unicorn terrorist, the, uh, the Islamic convert to Christianity, uh, particularly rare uh, <laughs> uh, the world over. So
0: all sorts of division coming in here. We're going to talk about division a bit more in the news. And uh, surprisingly, some of the advice has come from Putin. But before we go there, and perhaps appropriately, let's uh, come back to our report on Monday uh, when we were talking about uh, Tobias Elwood uh, ramping up the anti-rhetoric statements. Uh, But also we'd uh, highlighted the fact that The Express had another article which was entitled Poland prepares for attack tonight, fears of major assault as thousands gather. Well, I don't think that attack took place on uh, Monday night.
1: Uh, I I, I think that was fake news, Brian.
0: I think that was uh, fear propaganda, fake news from The Express. But of course, now we can see how easy it is for our mainstream press to do this sort of thing. And we'll use this as a bit of a stepping stone um, Alex, uh, as always, very grateful for your comments on what you think was happening around this large Russian exercise that has been made into a, an imminent invasion. Uh, what, what have you got for us on Ukraine?
2: Well, the first thing to say before we bring my slide up, I think, is that for those who don't know, Russia and Belarus, which are heading towards the status of being a union state and being militarily one and in other ways, too politically in time hold a joint exercise either in the north, the south, the east or the west of Russia's vast and vulnerable territory. And on this four-year rota, the exercise from August to October, roughly this year, was, uh, as it was its turn again, the west. ZAPAD uh, is the is Russian word for west, so this exercise was ZAPAD 2021. So Russian troops were due to be stationed in Belarus, anyway, and in the very westernmost parts of Russia, Smolensk Oblast, and some of them have been staying there since the formal end of the exercise. That's the first thing to say, and also before we bring the slides up, uh, I should say first of all that I have this morning for a a very fresh update called both my more Ukrainian nationalist friends in Kiev, whom I visited just a month ago, and also Gevorg Virats, who is, he doesn't really have a dog in this fight other than being an excellent speaker of Russian, uh, because he is an Armenian from Georgia um and uh both of them said what are you talking about there is nothing about this hype in the polish the Belarusian, or the ukrainian media uh the only topic of conversation in kiev my my ukrainian friend said is whether you can get on the kiev public transport unvaxxed and uh as regards, uh, well, my, my friend there uh, did a live internet search for this news when I asked him whether it was being talked about. And he said, but what's this? It's all BBC and Guardian pieces. He said, it's not even American outlets or European. It's British ones that are pushing this story. Georg Virat added the, the, the observation that uh, if there is anything being talked about in in military terms right now, it is that NATO's ally, Azerbaijan, launched a full frontal assault, not on Nagorno-Karabakh, the disputed territory, but the legally acknowledged territory of Armenia proper yesterday, leading to dozens of deaths and captures uh, of troops uh, in their attempt to blast a corridor through uh, to allow there being a united Turkic territory stretching all the way from Greece to China. Only a thin sliver of Armenia stands in the way. So that's what's being discussed by people locally. And both of them dissolved in laughter when I asked whether they were actually wound up about the prospect of an imminent Russian invasion uh, right there on their doorstep. Now, if we go to the slides I've prepared for this. First of all, here is a shot, and Patrick will be interested that once again the U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin is unmasked in this shot. But he's in Kiev this time. He's standing next to um, uh, the Ukrainian, his Ukrainian counterpart, uh, Andriy Tarha, and he's uh, talking. Uh, uh, well, the, the, the Ukrainian Defense Minister last month gave an interview responding to suggestions by Russia's Security Council Chairman Nikolai Patrushev, an old hand, uh, made earlier in the summer that Ukraine would be dropped when the hot war started by the American. Americans, just as afghanistan had just been dropped and if you tap that again you will see that the ukrainian de- defense minister says this won't happen because we share our own experience of combat actions against the russian federation because this experience which the ukrainian armed forces have no one else has so he is kidding himself on uh, that when the shooting war starts on land or on sea uh, uncle sam will not be dropping the ukrainians in it uh, because uh, they have this unbeatable current intelligence on how Russian troops fight. Well, uh, he can uh, he can dream on in that regard. Next slide is from Defense News. And we see that it's not a partisan issue in Washington, it's bipartisan. Uh, because we have two Mikes, key Republicans, telling President Biden that he must arm the Ukrainians to the, the teeth. So, Defense News, as picked up also by Yahoo News, uh, reports if you tap that again, that uh, Mike Rogers of Alabama and Mike uh, Turner of Ohio, who are the senior members of the two committees that matter in the the Congress, that's the House Armed Services Committee and the Strategic Forces Subcommittee, they're writing to Biden saying, with the recent massing of Russian forces on the Ukrainian border, we urge your administration to take swift and immediate action to provide supports to Ukraine in the form of intelligence and weapons. We also urge your administration to deploy a US military presence in the Black Sea to deter a Russian invasion. But as i just heard from... Uh, various sets of friends in various countries along that border, and uh, there are more I could quote, Um, there is no such uh, worry. It is the British and now they're also getting the Polish uh, authorities to talk about this imminent threat. Uh, this at a time when, as you fo- co- covered on Monday, Brian, uh, the uh, Ukraine, sorry, the um, the British are supposedly sending troops to Poland, where the Americans already have uh, troops. Gavrilovirats's comment on that was: the Brits are good at crisis management, but that's because they create the crisis in the first place. Next slide: Stars and Stripes, one of the commentary websites for the more thoughtful people in the U.S. defense apparatus. Reports that down on the coast, the um, uh, USS um, uh, Mount, uh, I forget the, the, the full name, it's, it's named after the mountain in the Sierra Nevada, uh, the, the ship which uh, Putin personally talked about as a Casus Belli, has now uh, left the Black Sea and if you tap that again, Admiral James Fogo, who is very senior in the US uh, naval forces and has often been quoted on such issues, is saying that they're there not to instigate a fight but to deter that they've now left the Bosphorus again and gone back into the Mediterranean. But the authors of this piece say that some have argued that US and NATO activity in the Black Sea region uh, is having the opposite effect. So let's look at that on the next slide, also by Stars and Stripes, although it was also picked up by Military.com. The uh, quotation, or the, the title here is, US actions in Ukraine is backfiring as risk of Russian invasion grows, according to analysts. If you tap that, we'll first of all see an initial quote by Michael Kaufman, Director of Russia Studies at the Center for Naval Analysis. So like the Marine Corps retired officer in the piece, this is a Russia specialist who speaks Russian and reads the press. Uh, Kaufman says there are very, very dark clouds on the horizon. Tap that again and the quotation will fill the screen. The problem the US military needs to solve is how to demonstrate solidarity with Ukraine and show a willingness to stand up to possible Russian aggression without provoking the escalation it seeks to avoid in the first place. Kaufman is treading a fine line in making this point, obviously. He says, we may be pushing too far too fast and we need to avoid running on autopilot. One more tap will bring up a red-bordered quotation on the slide, uh, which again quotes Kaufman, who's not the only uh, man quoted in the piece who's a Russia expert, but he's the most outspoken. Uh, He points out that until a couple of years ago, uh, Russian policy was to stop Ukraine and Georgia joining NATO at any cost, but now they are taking a more defensive and forward posture, which is, quote, that position has changed to it's now about Western defense cooperation in Ukraine, which can amount to the same de facto outcome. Uh, So it's equivalent to Ukraine being in NATO. Kaufman says this is Russia's red line, it's not just formal membership. And to uh, conclude my part on this segment, a couple of snaps I took when I was uh, leaving Ukraine a month ago, and this is what greets people in the international departures terminal at Kiev Boryspil Airport. As soon as you get airside, you can see the large word on this uh, slide here in Cyrillic script is democracy, demokratia. And these, this is an exhibition by NATO demonstrating to all and sundry Ukrainians that we're such a good force because we share your values. This is the kind of buttering them up for, to fight a war for us that's being talked about. So the next slide shows more detail on these balls being stood up in the lobby. Uh, airside at Kiev Borisville Airport. We share the value of security, for example, on the first of those slides. Next slide brings up, we have a shared value of freedom and so on. Um, so you can see what's going on there. And I think we also at that point included uh, a shot which I took from the air as I was leaving Odessa down in the south, a Russian-speaking, largely pro-Russian part of Ukraine for, the, for a bit of uh, balance here. And uh, I just took that shot because it was poignant to me to see such a clear view of Odessa and to think, well, my dear friends down there, both the Russian-speaking pro-Russians and the Ukrainian-speaking Ukrainian nationalists are the ones who are going to suffer, not the British or Americans, ultimately. And yet they are not running around like headless chickens, as we're assured that they are, Uh, not even on the Poland-Belarus border, let alone in Ukraine proper. It seems that it's news to them that there's going to be an attack tomorrow.
0: Uh, Alex, uh, thank you very much for that. I'm sorry, we seem to have mislaid your aerial photo. It may pop up in a minute. We'll see if we can bring that back for you. But what an extraordinary statement that you've made that on the ground, nobody is talking uh, in this way about the Russians. They're concerned with a whole different range of factors. And yet we've got clearly the BBC and the national press, all of the newspapers in UK, simply directing uh, the attention of the UK public to the to the Russians. This is propaganda. This is propaganda unleashed in UK, and I suspect the states as well, Patrick.
1: This is a completely desperate and uh, contrived... Uh, multiple events. They're trying to gin up uh, something along the Polish-Belarusian, uh, Russian-Belarusian, and now the Ukrainian-Russian border, as if it's a crime that Russia's moving its military assets uh, within its own borders. <laughs> when they say putting troops against the Ukrainian border, the average person who doesn't have any understanding of geography, which might be a, a substantial uh, percentage of, of the population, unfortunately, uh, might not know that uh, that is Russian's border as well. And not only that, um, I, I thought Russia already, according to these same media sources, Russia's already invaded the Ukraine and it occupies Crimea illegally. Uh, so they, they're they very quiet on that issue, I think, yeah. especially recently because they realize that it's not coming back. Crimea is not going to be uh, repatriated and reunited with uh, Russian Crimea, I might add. is not gonna be reunited with, the, with Ukraine. Uh, so, but what this is, is uh, and what Alex alluded to, is, is, the, is, the, is the risky part of NATO, which is the, the sort of Article 5, uh, all for one uh, clause in there that attack on one member of NATO is considered to be attack on uh, the entire alliance. So this is entangled alliances, this is the sort of power politics that uh, potentially could drag... Countries into conflict, like during World War One, for instance. But this is the dangerous part, and I think unfortunately there are some actors within NATO that are constantly trying to bait um, uh, that sort of situation, Article Five situation, and having putting Ukraine into NATO, uh, whether de facto or not, um, that's incredibly dangerous. When you well, take that that sort of aspect of it.
0: The bit I'd uh, bring in is this business, when you start talking about forward defence, which uh, Alex mentioned, if you defend to the absolute extremity of your border, the opportunity is to turn that defence into attack. And of course, this is the problem for the Russians. If uh, NATO or the US or UK keep creeping forward and saying, we're just expanding our defence, but you end up on the border, then that in military terms can be flipped overnight into a very offensive posture. And also if you're moving up missile systems in a defensive posture, those missiles quickly extend their range over Russian territory. So um, we're being lied to by the uh, Western press at the moment. And I think um, it's our job to try and uh, show people what's really happening in, in a pretty volatile region. Let's um, let's just move on to, uh, well, we're going to come on to The Telegraph, actually, and uh, a reporter called Celia Walden, and uh, she's been talking about the possibility that there's a woke lash, there's a, a backlash against wokeness. And she says, is this the start of an establishment woke lash at last? Now, you may be puzzled as to why I've switched from the uh, Ukraine to this particular one, but we'll see. I've labeled this a very naive article by a very innocent and ill-informed top-level journalist. I mean, she's working for The Telegraph. Uh, This is what she had to say. Over the past few days, there's been a rumble in the woke jungle, jungle that's impossible to ignore. Green shoots poking through in the most unexpected places. So this is all colorful, slightly jokey, maybe a bit childish language. I mean, what could be more surprising than the BBC headline on Sunday? BBC chief tells staff, get used to hearing views you don't like. And uh, that was Ms. Unworth talking to the um, LGBT community inside the BBC. So I can understand uh, Celia Walden being a little bit surprised on that. Uh, But she goes on. Let's have a look at this heartened as I am by these green shoots making themselves felt within a British establishment. was once craven towards the woke. Uh, Not everyone has got the memo and there's still plenty of nonsense out there uh, to deflate you daily. Well, I'm going to say back to Ms. Walden that, of course, what she's seeing is anything but nonsense and she needs to wake up to what she's really experiencing. Uh, But what's the best source to understand what's happening? Uh, Well, we're probably going to shock a few people because we need to jump back to President Putin, and uh, he has given an amazing uh, little clip to camera. Um, This was back on the 24th of October, where he's talking about wokeness dismantling the West. And uh, this man has got some really interesting things to say. I'm gonna bring up a little bit of video on the screen. I'll try and give some uh, indication of what's going on for those who are just uh, listening. Um, But we'll start off here where he's talking about the importance of solid support in the sphere of morals, ethics and values in an increasing, increasing dramatic, sorry, uh, the importance of a solid support in the sphere of morals, ethics and values is increasing dramatically in the modern fragile world. So he's commenting on the whole thing. Let's see if we can get this to run and we can find out a bit more about what he's talking about. Uh, He's saying, in point of fact, values are a product, a unique product of cultural and historical history. Um, We've got interlacing um, openness between uh, nations at the moment, but countries are having a fresh look at their own traditions. And he's saying that the Russians are watching all this with amazement because uh, uh, this is a big social and cultural shock. And it's taking place in the United States, UK, Western Europe. He says it's none of our business. We're letting them get on with it. But some people in the West believe that an aggressive elimination of of their history is a good thing. Um, But we're seeing it now starting to attack families, mother, father, family, and even gender. And uh, in a minute, we're going to get on to something which should make us all think. Uh, So he's saying that this is being indicated as social renewal and social progress. And these people believe that they're introducing the West humanity to some new kind of better consciousness. Uh, But he, he then says this is not new at all. The only thing that I want to say is that their prescriptions are not new at all. It may come as a surprise to some people, but Russia has been there already. Uh, well, what could he say? He says that in 1917 revolution, the Bolsheviks uh, relied on the dogmas of Marx and Engels. So he's looking at wokeness inside the West. I think that's the end of that little clip. Uh, he's looking at uh, the wokeness and he's saying for the West, you need to understand what this is. We've experienced this. This has been in the Bolshevik revolution. So this nasty, aggressive man, Putin, is looking very clearly into the West. He sees that our society is being destroyed, and he's warning us that the roots go back to the Bolshevik revolution, which I find fascinating. I know Alex is keen to come in. Let's just have a look at some of the uh, things that Vladimir Putin said in that in that uh, dialogue, he said quite a lot, so I encourage people to go and have a look at the film clip. Uh, He said regarding woke agendas, we have a different viewpoint at least. um, And that viewpoint is the overwhelming majority of Russian society, they have a different view. Uh, uh, Sorry, that's, uh, they believe that should be that we must rely on our own spiritual values, our historical tradition and the culture of our multi-ethnic nation. So he's not messing around, Patrick, he realises that Russia's got a a history, it's got a tradition, it's got culture, even though it's a multi-ethnic nation. Uh, He says that after the 1917 revolution, the Bolsheviks relying on the dogmas of Marx and Engels also said they would change existing ways and customs and not just political and economic ones the very notion of human morality and the foundations of a healthy society. So they were going to attack the whole of society. There was no question about this. The destruction of age-old values, religion and relations between people, up to and including the total rejection of family. We had that too. He's saying we had this attempt to reject the family in Russia. And also encouragement Uh, to inform, to get people to inform on their loved ones, which is pretty vicious stuff. And then he he says all this was proclaimed as progress, which is exactly what we're being told in the West now. And then he said, by the way, the Bolsheviks were absolutely intolerant of opinions other than theirs. So, Alex, if I can just uh, bring you back on screen. Um, We have talked about... um, a gentleman called Christopher Story warning that the West was going to be subverted and brought down. His information was given to him by a Russian dissident. But of course, many people viewed the information as being indicative that this was going to be a Russian attack on the West. And yet here we have Putin as the president of uh, Russia clearly warning people in Western countries to pay attention that their societies are being dismantled from within. What's going on, do you think?
2: It's the use of one country after the other as the experimental laboratory for a certain generation. And uh, we've done whole feature discussions and intend to do more, although on different video platforms, about the psychological attack. On Britain, America, and the West, uh, which, as you say, largely draws on Anatoly Golitsyn, the, uh, the king of all Soviet whistleblowers, really, uh, dissidents and uh, uh, defectors, uh, far more valuable than many of those who followed him. He predicted that, uh, that a lot of nonsense would come out of fake defectors after him. Uh, but people needn't get hung up just on the Russian angle, because Russia was not the only of these laboratory countries. uh, Because of the woeful teaching of history these days, and so much of the turmoil at the end of the the First World War not being uh, noted by many people in their school history, many of our viewers may be unaware that there were short-lived Bolshevik copycat revolutions in several central European countries at the end of the First World War when Germany, Russia, and the land in between were so drained. The most successful of these was the Hungarian Soviet Socialist Republic that lasted a couple of years, and uh, it uh, appointed as its commissar for education a gentleman known as, if I can call him that, known as uh, George, or Djurj in Hungarian, Lukács. The surname is L-U-K-A-C-H, sorry, A-C-S, L-U-K-A-C-S. People need to mug up on him. He was the first in the world uh, a century ago and a little more uh, to write in terms that the sexualization of primary school children was necessary to break up the bourgeois institution of the family. Sadly, the Austrians offered him refuge, and so the Hungarians weren't able to string him up, which they intended to do. The Russians looked on in horror, even the Bolsheviks under the first uh, Soviet Commissar for Education, Lunacharsky, and said, Lukács has gone too far. What's the point? The Hungarians were a Western bourgeois nation. It was becoming pre- pretty painfully obvious that the policy was a Western led one coming out of financial institutions in the West and had nothing ultimately to do with dastardly Russians.
0: Uh, interesting, uh, interesting stuff. Uh, Patrick, you're seeing a little bit of interest in the wokeness from the Chinese as well. Yeah, but. Communist if, country.
1: But just to comment on what we just discussed there is also to point out that. Uh, the, the Bolshev, after the Bolshevik Revolution, the other target of course was the church uh, because the, that, that style of uh, rule or government or ideological uh, Marxism, communism, they see the church yeah. as a competition with the as state yeah. uh, and not only that, it, the, the church is a, a mitigating force or a buffer between the people and the state and the, the state will have to negotiate with people sometimes through the church and so that's a threat to the state. And uh, the, so the state becomes God, effectively. It doesn't yeah. want any competition in that department. And so I think that's something you'll you'll also see in, in, in all of the things that we just discussed.
0: Uh, well, we're certainly seeing an attack on religion and, and the church in Western societies. This is very clear. Um, so what about China then? We've got another communist country. It is a communist country, although it, it's acting as a capitalist country at the moment. But the Chinese are interested in wokeness as well.
1: Sure, sure. Yeah, the, the, hybrid, uh, the hybrid country of China. So a lot of people might not be aware that Chinese have been poking fun at wokeness uh, in the West, uh, a little bit more harsh than what uh, Vladimir Putin was saying. But they have a term here called baizu. Baizu, so it's this is from the Global Times, Chinese derogatory social media term for the white left, Western elites spreads. So baizu is a Chinese... Um, epithet is now used to refer to western liberalism social justice virtue signaling and the leftist white savior complex and there's a lot of dialogue about this in sort of chinese media and in uh, chinese culture and we're, we're totally unaware of the fact that they see the whole thing uh and they're sort of crack jokes about it it's a bit of a sarcasm against the yep. west but um so most people on this sort of the political left who are kind of Pushing the sort of woke agenda, have no idea that the Chinese are kind of snickering from across the Pacific
0: because they see it very clearly.
1: Yeah, they yeah. see it. They see it as an attempt, as as Putin was saying, to sort of break down the U.S. So I mean, even we're getting warning signals from Russia and China. Even they're saying,
0: mm-hmm. pay <laughs> you know, attention to what's might, happening
1: you in your You might your want income. to abandon this agenda, but it it seems to be a, it's a juggernaut that's going to be very difficult to stop.
0: And the moment you say it's a juggernaut, which it is, we can say it's a very big juggernaut, and therefore it requires big funds. So if you start looking at who is funding the wokeness, we're starting to see who's really behind it. But that's probably a discussion for another day. What are the indications that we get in UK that something's wrong? Well, uh, somebody sent in this article from the Daily Mail. Um, Let's see if we read a bit of it out. London Mayor Sadiq Khan sets up a one million fund for grants to help Offended residents decolonise and change their street names in the capital. So Rhodes Avenue in London's Muswell Hill could become Mandela Drive. Surely the cash could instead have been spent tackling the stabbings of mostly young black men in London streets. Upper quarter this year, the highest on record. So the person identifying a woke agenda, uh, which doesn't recognize the real crime in London, And then this one, rising prices at the petrol pump and supermarkets are being blamed on shortage of HGV drivers. Uh, Industry has been predicting this shortage for months, for months, Uh, if not years yet, more than 54,000 HGV license applications are waiting to be processed at the DVLA. In January, you can normally expect 3,000 licenses to be granted. Last January, the agency managed just 173. Uh, And they then contrast this with the fact that we've got teenagers blocking what they describe as the Queen's Highway. So I've labeled this engineered breakdown of the UK. We've got a woke agenda, which is destroying our culture and our history. And then we've got uh, public services such as DVLA simply don't function. And the knock on effect is that we're not getting supplies into um, into shops. Uh, this is maybe uh, a little bit to one side, but I think it's in the bracket. This is another Telegraph article, uh, preschool children to have NHS anti-obesity coaches. Well, the NHS can't even treat sick people at the moment, even if they're in hospital. But apparently we've now got NHS experts. Uh, they're going to look after children and make sure they don't become fat. I don't think this is nanny state, which a lot of people would call it, Patrick. I think this is heading towards a vicious total state control. Am it, I a bit strong on that?
1: N- um, maybe not, maybe not. But, you know, the the most farcical thing about the whole uh, uh, dialogue and, and discussion about obesity is that if you look at institutions like schools and you look at the food that they're serving <laughs> up you know, to the kids and they have been doing it for decades, and it's the same stuff that they are uh, feeding people at hospitals, it is literally the worst quality food you can imagine. So if you think of how much money they've thrown away on COVID, uh, how many hundreds of billions of dollars in the last uh, 24 months, and you know, you think that nutrition might sort of come in there as a priority with schools, with hospitals, with the NHS. No, it's not. Yeah. You know, colleges are the same, tertiary colleges. They serve up the same fried fish fingers, and whatever, and, and have sodas and sweets. And then they're, play, they're crying about obesity uh, because these people at these institutions can't be uh, find it within themselves to, to be an example to all the people that pass through their doors and yep. provide them with something healthy.
0: Anecdotal story to add to answer that one. I know of a primary school where they took immense care over their menus to bring in fresh products and uh, uh, prepare really excellent food. But when the food inspectorate came round, they couldn't cope with this. So they actually had to step back and introduce some lower quality food because this would enable the uh, Department of Education uh, inspectors to tick their little boxes. And that's uh, absolutely true. I know it's just coming from me as a story, but it's it's true. So It, it, it makes sense. It that's, makes sense.
1: That's how that bureaucracy works.
0: Right. Well, we must bring our leader on screen. So... Um, this is uh, Boris Johnson, obviously, looking as vacant as he normally does. Now, of course, there's a big political row going on at the moment. Well, we're told there is. Uh, but I want to ask the key question in light of the advice that President Putin has given us. Um, is, are we dealing with a Tory here or are we dealing with somebody who's got the Bolshevik? Cut him in half like a stick of rock and it says Bolshevik.
1: I was thinking more like a raging Trotskyite, but uh, if you want to use the B word, uh, go right ahead, Brian.
0: Uh, well, I've used it simply because uh, this is what uh, Putin was coming in, but maybe we should be looking at Tro- Trotsky. And I think if if my memory serves me correctly, if we go back to John Prescott, he, he was labeled publicly a couple of times as a Maoist, which was very interesting. Uh, but uh, we'll save that for another day. We just wanted to give people an overview of what was going what is going on in the country at the moment. So we've come up with a a UK column wiring diagram, as I like to call it. Uh, We've definitely got a psychological attack going on. And the key part of that, the government is telling us to be afraid. We can't be afraid now and again. We've got to be afraid constantly. Uh, We've also got to trust the government at the same time to protect us. So the government is full of fraud and corruption. We're not being told the truth about overseas politics, uh, but we must trust the government because even as an adult, you can't protect yourself. We've lost that ability. Um, so what should we be afraid of? Well, we have going to be afraid of climate change. Uh, we've certainly got to be afraid of terrorism because we now know the threat is severe and those terrorists are going to be leaping all over the Christmas celebrations. Uh, we've got to be afraid of COVID-19. We've got to be afraid of the flu. We've got to be afraid of the Russians, obviously. And if we're afraid of the Russians, we need to be afraid of the Chinese. We've got to now be afraid of right wing Christians because they're really on a par with Islamic extremists. Uh, We've certainly got to be afraid of Islam. We've got to be afraid the NHS is collapsing. We've got to be afraid of the unvaccinated. And really, by the time we get this far around the circle, we're going to be afraid of our neighbors. And we've now got articles appearing in the press where uh, so-called professors are saying you you shouldn't trust your own instincts. And of course, if a person doesn't trust their instincts, they're rapidly heading towards being lost. Um, so we've also got to be frightened of the government because the government very frequently now is saying You're going to do what we tell you. And if you don't, those police are going to be knocking on your door. Uh, But at the same time, we've got the dichotomy. We've got to trust the government. So this gives us a bit of cognitive dissonance. This uh, destabilizes the population. So that leads to the be afraid constantly. What are we actually dealing with? We're dealing with a battle for our minds. Uh, Alex, with an eye on the clock, Um, I think it's pretty obvious that the... uh, public in the United Kingdom are under a pretty vicious attack uh, by the government and of course the government declared in its own mindspace document it was going to take control of our minds and in the COVID uh, so-called pandemic we've had the SAGE and the SPY-B teams boasting that they can use applied psychology to make us more fearful directly. This, this can't be accidental.
2: Indeed it isn't, Brian, and we have quite mainstream academics pointing this out. Uh, the best of them is a Belgian, Dr. Matthias. that's M-A-T-T-I-A-S, and the surname is De Smet, Desmet, D-E-S-M-E-T who has given a host of interviews, uh, which haven't been taken down even by the likes of YouTube, uh, since about September, uh, putting the model together. And he's uh, a well-respected uh, academic of the relevant social sciences at Ghent University, where I've personally studied at postgraduate level, one of the finest in the world and uh, the most tolerant of uh, a range of opinions, actually. Uh, De Smith points out that what's going on is people are angsty, uh, they are uh, they have their angst cranked up, uh, this turns into what's known to his social scientists as uh, free-floating anxiety because they can't pin it on anyone, then the scapegoats are wheeled out. Uh, but the solution is also offered. Desmet says in most of his interviews that people don't want to go back to their old normal because, I'll, I'll uh, soften his language a bit, he says the old normal for too many people in the modern Western world was BS jobs and a, piece and a purposeless existence. Uh, but if communities like UK Column viewers um, can offer a better future than just going back to old normality, then there is hope to get out of this psychological assault.
0: Okay, thank you very much for that. Well, well if uh, our viewers and listeners uh, like what the UK column is doing, please join us. This is key to getting us, keeping us going. But also, UK column wants to expand and increase our production and output, and uh, we're confident now we can do that with your support and, of course, more support. So if you're not already engaged with us, uh, get involved via Twitter, Facebook, and of course, you can find us on those uh, um, platforms, brand YouTube, Rumble, BitChute, Odyssey. And if you want to be out on the town and uh, showing your support for UK Column, uh, then please uh, uh, get one of our very warm, comfortable and smart uh, hoodies. Now, good news. I'm really stunned uh, that uh, the David Noakes Crown funder just continues to move. Uh, So we're up at uh, 24,000. We're nearly halfway for the £50,000 that his uh, family said is needed to have any chance of getting David out of prison. So a very big thank you to everybody who supported that. If you haven't seen it already on the UK column, we've got a little video interview with David Noakes' son, Andrew. Uh, where he's giving a family perspective on what it's like uh, to have his father in prison and uh, what uh, the circumstances are, what the conditions are, and what he's been trying to do with his sister, Jessica, in order to get his father out. I'd also like to say, if you haven't uh, seen part two of Christine Cotton, the biostatistician, taking apart the US VAERS vaccine adverse reactions, have a look for... Uh, that interview on the UK column. And also uh, we've got the interview with John O'Looney, the independent undertaker, who has uh, been very brave in warning about what's been happening with elderly people. Um, From our viewers, uh, we had this uh, letter come in, which is fascinating. Um, So uh, their partner received this letter from the Department of Health and Social Care, well, and Imperial College London and Ipsos Morris. Morrie and uh, the NHS. And this is saying, please come on board with our test and help us. And unusually, it's signed by people at the bottom. Um, so we've got a, a Maggie Throop, if I've uh, seen that correctly, Parliamentary Under Secretary. Uh, we've got Professor um, Lord Darcy, Imperial College. And we've got a lady called Kelly Beaver, who's uh, Uh, there is the public relations lady from Ipsos Mori. I believe she's now the chief executive. Uh, But what was interesting to the viewer was that this letter came completely unannounced and uh, it arrived through the letterbox because these companies had already got the name and address and contact details of that particular family from their GP. So the warning was watch out your data is certainly being shared now. We've got this one. Somebody has said that uh, the Guardian has actually acknowledged that once a person is vaccinated, there's no way back. So thank you for Deborah uh, for telling us that this. And uh, this one really caught my attention. And thank you for the viewer. MPs were lied to over Mountbatten diaries. Uh, This is what the Telegraph said. But of course, the real headline was the Cabinet Office lied to MPs in an attempt to keep Earl Mountbatten's private letters and diaries out of the public eye. And if you go to the end of this article, we get a clue because a Roger Smithhurst, head of knowledge and information management at the Cabinet Office, said in his witness statement, there is some information within the documents which, if released, would compromise the UK's relations with other states. Well, that's a very clean claim, Patrick. Do you think it was to do with foreign policy or do you think it might have been to do with children?
1: Yeah. Well, that's the big question. We just
0: it? don't know, do we? That's the big question. We don't know. Uh, well, where do we go for this This one here? Let's bring it up on screen. We've got uh, danger. The government is trying to amend judicial review so that uh, prorogation of parliament can never be challenged stumbling over that one a bit. Alex, I think this is one of yours.
2: It is, uh, one of my uh, larger segments begins, so I'll just roll through it in the interest of time. This particular tweet is by Paul Motion, who is one of the UK's, uh, more specifically, the jurisdiction of England and Wales' fairly new uh, professions as solicitor advocate in recent decades. uh, Solicitors uh, can also be trial lawyers, and that's what a solicitor advocate is. Paul Motion has been keeping tabs on the uh, progress through the committee stages of the government's current uh, bill on courts and judicial review. Uh, which Mike has previously focused for us. If you tap that again, it's slightly blurry because I only took it uh, from Mr Motion's uh, screenshots. But the first uh, tap will bring in then uh, that two uh, Conservative MPs who are also, at least in one case, government ministers, Sir John Hayes and Tom Hunt, have moved that the following clause be added to the uh, bill as it currently stands, and it's entitled Exclusion of Judicial Review of Prorogation. So if people remember the hoo-ha that went up to the UK Supreme Court about whether the Prime Minister could uh, ask the Queen, basically tell the Queen to dissolve Parliament at a politically opportune moment, uh, they're now saying that courts or tribunals are not allowed to question the government. There's been Hints of this from the Attorney General in recent interviews, uh, which have already got the legal establishment groaning. And if you tap that once more, you'll see that another motion by other members uh, to amend the bill is that if there's any judicial review proceedings, this is people, I know it's not done in Britain with its uh, lie of parliamentary sovereignty um, as much as it has in other countries, but it is part of Britain's heritage, both England and Scotland, that if you think the government or one of its executive agencies has broken the law, and the US, as Pat will confirm, is very much in this regard uh, as well. You You ask judges to look at it. So what's being suggested by the MPs who've tabled this amendment in committee is that it's enough for a minister simply to say, I intend to say in the House in future that this is not justiciable. In other words, judges aren't allowed to look at it. That's enough to cancel it getting to judicial review. Now, this is particularly significant given that, uh, w- uh, although there are some moves to change this at the moment, uh, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland are unicameral devolved legislatures. And when they were brought in, or in the case of Stormont brought back, the government's argument was very explicitly, well, we don't need second chambers because we have judicial review. Uh, so this has been taken away. Um, if you take to the next slide, we see that the main sponsor of this amendment, John Hayes, a long standing MP in one of, I think, the most, uh, the safest seats for the Conservative Party in the country, was writing back in 2007 at Conservative Home, which now has a big banner of what they would call the UK Home Nations in Newspeak, although look, note that Northern Ireland is not there. Um, He was writing in 2007 when the the Conservatives were in the opposition doldrums that uh, there must be a Conservative confidence in order to bring in a new government. David Cameron had already been selected as the uh, Prime Minister-in-waiting, the leader of the Conservative Party. Tap that again and you'll see the key paragraph that got my interest, given that he sponsored this basic abolition of judicial review at the government's whim. He writes, Thanks to David Cameron's leadership, voters' perceptions of our party have begun to change. The parody of conservatism sometimes given substance by the style and preoccupations of those liberal individualists that occupy our party is being replaced by a communitarian compassionate and patriotic authentic Toryism. Uh, okay we will break off my presentation for a moment here just to back this back to brian for a moment john hayes is saying uh 14 years ago now we now have a proper Conservative Party, uh, out with the old, in with communitarianism. Uh, given what's happened in the 14 years since and your special study of the issue, what's meant there by communitarianism?
0: Well, of course, what comes straight into my head was the power of the political charity Common Purpose that was originally operating out of John Prescott. We've mentioned him with a title Maoist or possible Maoist, uh, Common Purpose operating out of uh, Uh, in Tony Blair's era, out of the um, office of John Prescott, what is their agenda? Well, my take on what they're doing is they're creating these future leaders and they are changing society in a form of communitarianism. But we then saw that common purpose drift seamlessly across into the Tory uh, arena to the extent that we had David Cameron personally promoting common purpose in India, whilst Eric Pickles was trying to calm people who were seeing through the general chaos of common purpose by saying that no local authority should ever use their services. He was saying that to local authorities while David Cameron was in India promoting common purpose. So this communitarian agenda uh, has been spread across the parties and we know now that there's no difference between the parties.
1: It's it's also to generate a, a new crop of loyal apparatchiks and yes yeah. people in all the different agencies, institutions and departments yeah. and to push out any potential genuine leaders or anybody with any sort of potential populist appeal. Yeah. That's also...
0: A, it's, a, like, it's, it's, yeah. it's like a cuckoo. Common Purpose has acted as if it was a, a cuckoo or a Trojan horse, got in amongst the grain of society, political, corporate, public sector, got its future leaders in place, and they are the ones now, uh, well, often, because of the number of them, pulling the strings, and of course, they're very keen on the woke agenda. Uh, Have I hit the nail somewhere on the head, Alex?
2: I think you rather have, Brian, and I would like to uh, also commend the live chat discussion which has moved on to Irish questions in the last couple of minutes because they've pointed out there is actually a St Patrick's saltire in that Conservative home logo uh, which prompts me to uh, ask whether they're claiming the whole territory of the island of Ireland at Conservative Home, or whether they're just too afraid of the Red Hand of Ulster. But uh, that's also relevant because you were talking about Mountbatten a moment ago, and uh, I think the Cabinet Office is, as usual, killing two birds with one stone, linguistically, and I think that the real country with whom we'd have problems uh, if the Mountbatten Diaries came out in full is the Irish Republic, but perhaps more of that another time. Let's go on to my next slide. Um, this is the historical background to why judicial review is important, even in a jurisdiction like England and Wales, where minimal use was historically made of it because of the doctrine that parliament bosses the courts around, which is a false doctrine. Anyway, Ernst Frankl and a, a special hello to our viewers on BitChute, who, uh, some of whom will be pointing out that he was a Jewish socialist and therefore probably the devil's spawn. But Ernst Frankl to give him his due, uh, was actually the only uh, German lawyer of substance who saw the first five years of Nazism uh, implemented. And he wrote the, most, the best reflection from Troke close up as a defense lawyer of how the, the rule of law in the historic sense was abolished in Germany and he wrote it in the form of this book the dual state his main contention is that uh, proper courts coexisted with political courts tap that again and you will find the key quotation there's actually a whole section in this book on why the third reich abolished judicial review very early on but from another part of the book is this key sentence Uh, which is so important to what's happening in Britain Britain and America right now. He says that the significance of procedural questions, so not material law, not the letter of the law, but how you try people fairly, he says that is by no means inferior to questions of substantive law. The prohibition of extraordinary courts, which Britain and America have now brought back, the institution of the jury, which Britain and in particular uh, Britain, but some, some some ways America too are abolishing, and judicial review of the actions of state agencies are evidence of this. And uh, Frankel concludes there is no proposition in the substantive law which can be compared in fundamental importance with the principle of race judicata. That's why JR is being sidelined, because a judge will say, we decided this in the past, we have case law. Ministers will say, no, no, dear boy, times have changed. Uh, we need new expedients now. Uh, so that's why the government doesn't want courts getting in the way. And of course, when we say courts in any English speaking country, we ultimately mean the people in the jury. Uh, Don't be hoodwinked that it's just elite judges being referred to there. It's the people being the ultimate backstop on to uh, matters Australian. Now, a namesake of one of the Westminster MPs is the MP in the Australian state of Victoria, David Davis, representing the southern metropolitan area uh, of um, Melbourne. And he notes that uh, strangely enough, it's not conservatives pushing through so-called conservative policy uh, to uh, to give the executive primacy now. It's Labour partner down there pushing it as a so-called West left-wing policy. So he says the Australian Labor Party uh, is forcing the pandemic through, bill bill through with extraordinary use of the urgent bill clause in a way never seen before. Shameful attack on democracy by an arrogant Andrews Labour government in the state of Victoria. Uh, Tap that again and you will see the screenshot by Mr. Davis uh, of the provision there. And again, it's it's, uh, if we believe in party politics, which we don't at UK Column. And then this is supposedly the other end of the spectrum. Uh, So it's Labour rather than Conservative this time. What do they say? At any time, uh, this is what's being tabled now uh, in Victoria, at any time following the introduction of a bill, a minister may without notice declare a bill to be an urgent bill and move that the bill be treated as an urgent bill. No amendment will be permitted to the question. When a bill has been declared urgent, the second reading debate and all subsequent stages may proceed immediately or at any time during any sitting. There will be no time to research, no time to be lobbied by the uh, constituents or by anyone, anyone else. It will proceed straight to a vote. Up to Finland. Uh, here I have put in purple on the slide uh, a summary for people because it's a Finnish news outlet, UMV Lehti. Uh, the, there, this camper van here is parked uh, on the uh, market square in Helsinki where the presidential palace is. And... Uh, the president, Sauli, Sauli Ninister, can see this from his window. This is a 55 year old uh, lady lawyer in Finland called Jana Kavonius. Which uh, many of the woke brigade like to mock and call uh, a fly by night because she's done things before, like dress up as Princess Leah, as to, to raise attention to political issues. Here she's on hunger strike in this camper. Uh, she asserts that her seven children have been subjected to murder attempts by what she calls a mafia led by President Nini and the Prime Minister, uh, who is this uh, notorious San Namarin, who uh, some commentators say looks and behaves like a girl, uh, a small child. Well, um, Jana Kavonius says that the most recent murder attempt on her children was an attempt made in May on the life of her seven-year-old child. So for that alone, she's drawn attention and probably protected her children. We're going to listen now to what she said in English while she is in, uh, it's embedded in the article on screen as a video, At around minute 42 in the video. She is talking here about why she's on hunger strike. She's already by this point said that the president and the legal establishment are a mafia, that there is no law and that the mainstream papers led by Helsingin Sanomat, Finland's paper of record, didn't even take a paid advertisement by the Hungarian government explaining why they were going against EU legal supremacy, because that couldn't be debated in Finland. Uh, So she explains at this point, with the long list of names, which you'll hear at one point, the president, the prime minister, and the legal establishment, how they've mounted an unlawful coup and what she intends to do about it. Finland
3: is not legally a member of the EU and has never been. Our legal currency, Marka, was changed illegally, and Minister and his mafia is also responsible for those crimes. Our constitution cannot be changed by agreements. This is why EU officials do not have any rights in our country. Finland is a republic whose right belongs 100% to the people of Finland according to the written constitution. 0% of our constitutional rights belong to the EU officials. Our government, ministers, Mafia and EU Mafia have together committed serious crimes and a legal revolution. Sana Marin Tutti and Sauli Ninister, Europatiratus, Anna Maja Hendrickson, Tuomas Belsti, Maria Ohisola and nobody can change the constitution by announcements and agreements because such a deed is legislated as a serious crime in our own penal code. Now we are taking our own country back. We take it all back. Our democracy, our laws, our justice, our justice system, the freedom of speech, the freedom of religion, and every single human right because they belong to us. And that's why we are hunger striking. It's the only way to get justice in Finland and uh, attention from the international medias. To hunger strike is the only way. There is no legal system in Finland existing anymore. We, the people of Finland, are also giving our support to brave Poland and Hungary. The Constitutional Court of Poland confirmed the same as me. The constitution of each independent state is the highest law, not any EU law. And Helsingin Sanoma, a rotten Finnish media, and all the Finnish rotten media, they didn't put uh, any even uh, paid announcement. Uh, made by the hung- Hungary regime because uh, no criticism is allowed in this country it's a total dictatorship and uh, there is a total censor uh, and that's why nobody knows what the hell is going on in this country 83,000 heroes died defending our independence we cannot surrender under this mafia we the people of Finland will never surrender I, as a lawyer, urge the whole nation and the whole world to fight against these unscrupulous mafia criminals. Fight against the minister, dictatorship, his elite mafia, and against the EU federalisation mafia. I am also going to candidate to be the next president of Finland in the next presidential election, 2024, if I'm still alive. Uh, that is my official announcement I gave to the people of Finland on Sunday. And that is something they also the Finnish media didn't uh, publish.
2: Well, there we are. That was nearly two weeks ago. Uh, and since then, uh, I cannot confirm it, but uh, a chat box uh, post says that she collapsed and was taken to hospital and force fed. So, pretty ghastly stuff there she may although uh, she may however have saved the lives of her children from these gang stalkers uh, by making uh, that video uh, On to the next slide, and we see that this is not just invented, particularly not the part of the statements and the previous uh, part of the recording uh, where we were hearing uh, from Jana Kavonius that the mafia was particularly prosecuting. Christians, because no less a figure than the former interior minister of Finland and still a sitting member of parliament. We've reported on this before, but just to remind people, uh, as covered here by ADF International, also in the Helsinki Times, by the way, Uh, this uh, lady Paivi Rasanen is facing uh, three criminal charges which could imprison her for tweeting the contents of the Bible in a debate over homosexuality. So this is actually going on. And the final slide on Finland here is actually one uh, from uh, Scotland because uh, under Nicola Sturgeon's administration and before that Alex Salmond, Scotland claims uh, at a political level that it wants to be more like the Scandinavian countries, a Nordic model, and uh, sadly, part of that model, which Scotland too is moving towards and b- dragging the rest of the British Isles in its wake, maybe, is this idea that we follow top-down orders and consensus from heads of professions, which David Scott was recently talking about, managerialism. And uh, David said in a, a speech a couple of years ago in Kokodi, which I transcribed, Scotland's secret shame, you can easily find it by going to ukcolon.org and hitting the magnifying glass and searching. He said at the crucial moment here, exactly what is being said there by uh, the, the Finnish lawyer in question. He says... If someone wants to fix the system in Scotland, it's really easy to do. You only need half a dozen key posts. If you can put half a dozen people in that you can control in the right posts, and he names the various legal bods, or if you have a dozen senior judiciary, you've easily got it covered. You don't need many people, and the system is so hierarchical that it cuts off any progress. Uh, I had a piece on France and Austria, but perhaps either uh, Brian or uh, Pat would like to come in and respond to anything that's been mentioned just recently.
0: Uh, well, my immediate response, Alex, is that of course that an attack on our system of law um, fits the overall plan completely. We've got to uh, we've got to break law and order down. We've got to make sure that there's no uh, justice. We've got to victimise the victim. Um, all of this makes sense if your objective is to make sure that the UK as a Western nation or Scotland as a as part of the, the UK can no longer function. This, this is a planned agenda. Yeah. Take us through France very quickly because France gives us a nice introduction to move on to Patrick's uh, next segment.
2: The casual observer might just look at this. For example, here it's Euronews putting the news out on Twitter and think, oh, well, Never mind, uh, not very significant. It's covered by Euro News as Macron changes the colour of the French flag and suggests that it's only of interest to historians and vexillologists or flag fans. Um, what happened here is that Valérie Giscard d'Estaing uh, lightened the colour of the blue part of the French tricolour in 1976. The French Navy, you'll be interested to know, Brian, stuck with their old navy blue, bleu marine, uh, and uh, now France has quietly and unannounced gone back on all uses of the flag to the darker, uh, the true navy shade of blue. But there's a problem here. Next slide. Le Parisien, picking up on another mainstream outlet, Europe 1, which first covered this news, reports it as Macron has changed the blue on the French flag. And if you tap that again, you will see that it's a detail which has gone largely unnoticed and which was not officially announced. Tip, type it one more time, and you'll see in full screen the original piece by Europe 1, uh, which is picking up on what two journalists found uh, in a book that's come out about the Elysee, the French palace. The key point is a couple of obscure guys in the palace. Uh, the the head of administration for the presidential staff, uh, put this out uh, very quickly, uh, very quietly, the day before Bastille Day last year, 2020. But it's noted that uh, this was perhaps nudged along by the French uh, admiral and navy officer team that was at that time the rotating general staff contingent in the presidential palace, as if it was just the old uh, sea dogs uh, getting their own colour back. Um, But there's uh, sadly a little more to be mentioned, which is that the dark colour of the flag, the dark navy blue, was brought in not in the French revolutionary year in 1789, so the assertions of Europe 1 and the Parisians, the rest, Euro news, that it's a nod to the revolution, can't stand. Uh, it was actually 1793 that this flag came in. 1793, if you've read any history, is the year of the revolutionary terror being at its height. It's the year when Robespierre was having all the heads chopped off, and then his own head got lopped off as uh, uh, in in the struggle, because as usual, the revolution eats its own children. Macron's actually brought back a flag, which was brought in in the year when a, a large number of people, conservatives, Christians, and just general patriots of many shades, who didn't go along with the extremities of the revolution, were losing their heads, heads to the guillotine.
0: Yeah, Alex, uh, this will be another extraordinary um, coincidence, but just very quickly, uh explain the uh, this one, uh, and then we can move on to your segment, Patrick.
2: I think that what's playing out on screen as I speak is silent footage taken by uh, f 2 uh, an Austrian mainstream TV channel, of police uh, touring, first of all, a shop in the southern city of Klagenfurt, and then making vehicle stops. Uh, Austria has gone over to uh, a lockdown Uh, And so a ban on appearing in public for those who are not uh, vaccinated or recovered from COVID. So having a negative test is no longer a reason to be out on the street. Um, So they're actually having to force people to bring out their phones and uh, show them the the, the QR code and a negative test result won't do. Uh, So that's now being done in Klagenfurt in the southern city of Carinthia. Uh, so, the French uh, uh, Alex,
0: if I, if I can just come in there because've I've got a sharp eye on the clock, uh, I find it fascinating that we're seeing the breakdown. It's happening in UK. it's happening in other Western European countries, it's happening in the USA. There's got to be some wider coordination to, to, as to what's happening. Uh, something is driving this behind the scenes. I think we're going to have to leave a little bit of the analysis of that for for another day. Uh, But uh, why should we pay attention to what's happening? Um, Well, because we've seen from history some pretty serious things, Patrick.
1: That's right. As they say, history doesn't uh, exactly repeat itself, but it so often does rhyme. And uh, this week, a lot of people will have uh, already seen, and I'm sure this was also discussed on your program uh, on on Monday. I don't know if we uh, don't on this
0: well, we, we just wanted to call that one across if we can just come sure come come back and get that one well, there we are that's sure. the start position sure show,
1: show us your papers please and of course this is alluding to the the vaccine passport uh issue and so uh, a few european countries have uh, come out of the gates brian with incredible enthusiasm to be the first uh, to implement what's called a targeted lockdown so this is a, a lockdown imposed for the unvaccinated yeah. Uh, so this is a level of discrimination, formal discrimination, that we haven't seen yet, uh, as if that's possible, but here we go. Uh, pushing out the boat is Austria, and they've imposed a lockdown for the unvaccinated. It's happened. Uh, this has now gone into policy here, and uh, Germany and the Czech Republic could follow. In fact, Germany is hot on the heels of uh, Austria on this on this particular policy. So let's just uh, look at a, a quick video clip of the Austrian uh uh interior minister here i think this is carl neiman saying that uh, you will not have freedom of movement unless you have your double uh vaccination status confirmed right
2: Uh, but we'll so the police will be according to the
1: government The police will be enforcing uh this sort of strict lockdown for the unvaccinated
0: yeah so the intent is there putting it in practice a little bit tricky but once one european country can do it then you can you can just let that cascade across the remnants of the european union
1: so we're calling this the the big pharma angelus uh basically because uh, it's funny how this is starting in austria germany and the czech republic but here's the austrian chancellor here we'll just get this up on screen uh, Alexander Schallenberg uh, and this is what he says, I don't see why two-thirds should lose their freedom because one-third is dithering. Uh, so this is literally the language being used by the Chancellor uh, uh, Schallenberg here in, in Austria here. So back to the uh, the Anschluss, uh, there's the uh, uh, flag there uh, showing the two countries are in absolute coordination on this and here's the Daily Mail and uh, this isn't just the mail, a lot of uh, papers are reporting this. Germany to follow Austria's lockdown apartheid. Berlin considers new COVID restrictions for 14 million unvaccinated citizens. It's it's rumored to be much more than that, by the way. That's a, uh, an underestimated figure. After Vienna banned those without jabs from leaving their homes. So effectively, Austria is putting them under house arrest. House arrest, yeah, that's, so, how,
0: that's how I regard it. I'm of a certain age group, I can see something coming I regard it as house arrest it's nothing about having to stay home it's house arrest
1: so what's next ankle bracelets here the unvaccinated citizens banned from public transport Uh, this is what germany's proposing here unvaccinated barred from going to work and uh, we must save the hospitals so that's the cry save the nhs save the hospitals we're back to that same talking point again that tired old trope uh, which is that somehow uh, because of covid Uh, that the uh, healthcare systems won't be able to cope and then the whole country will collapse and there'll be, you know, body bags on the street. And that's the fear.
0: This is back to the fear. Yeah. Propaganda. So
1: so it's it's pretty basic tactics here. uh, Germany is reverting to here. So so we'll look at Czech Republic here. Yes, same sort of thing. There's a lot of pressure coming down uh, on the government there uh, from probably the usual suspects, I would imagine, uh, higher up. And so this is the Czech Republic. So that, that, that's an interesting block here historically. There you go. Territorial changes, 1935 to 1939. But now, really, if this becomes, we we could call it Pfizerstein. Fe,
0: uh, Pfizerstein.
1: Pfizerstein, maybe because this is a vaccine uh, area here, a new territory really dominated by big pharma. Um, so back to the uh, the big pharma Anschluss here. So increase police patrols to enforce the rules. Uh, And that those found to be violating them could be fined up to uh, 1,450 euros, and that's in British pounds, 1,220 pounds, for basically breaking this uh, new uh, lockdown for the unvaccinated. So pretty, pretty hard penalties there. That's Austria, okay? So the question is, Brian, are they going to actually make this work, and what do they need to make this work? Well, you need the police. On side, right and you need
0: informants you need people to inform on each other and that's that's why putin warning about uh, loved ones informing on their own family is so crucial and of course we've seen attempts to do this through the prevent strategy
1: sure sure but what's interesting is what we saw in france is, is the police and the some of the gendarmerie putting down their helmets and marching with the protesters. We've seen this in recent weeks. So there's not sort of this uh, uh, monolithic loyalty to to the government on this particular issue of discriminating against people based on their vaccination uh, status here. And we'll just point this out here. Thank you to uh, La French Connection uh, for pointing this out. This is a French website here. uh, And we'll just translate that for you. Uh, Austria rises against health dictatorship. So This is an interesting uh, development here. Uh, So what is happening? Well, the police and the army refusing to join the vaccine passport uh, uh, diktats by the government in the name of freedom and human dignity. And so they will join a large demonstration against the lockdown for the unvaccinated this Saturday, November 20th. Excellent. So this is a big development here. And uh, here is... uh, uh, a very uh, influential character, I would say, uh, certainly in Austrian politics uh, here. This is uh, Manfred uh, Heidinger. He is the uh, Australian, Austrian Armed Forces Union uh, head and former MP, and this is what he's saying. We hereby point out that the participation in assemblies, he's talking about protests, is a particular protected legal right, and that this is also taken into account uh, in the draft ordinance currently available, participation and travel, throughout Austria is permitted. So basically he's saying they're not going to, the police, as far as his position, and I, I would I would assume the members of this union, they're not going to enforce this government decree. Yeah. Uh, so, however, um, I don't think they'll be able to uh, get in the way in terms of public transport. That's a more tricky area uh, because they may don't have uh, control over that uh, per se. Yeah. So they're recommending that people use private transport rather than public transport, because I think they have a different uh, security or a different police uh, agency dealing with with that. But this is a real slap in the face of the prime minister. So this is a major trade unionist who also represents law enforcement. And
0: and it shows us what can be achieved when a few people in professional positions start to say, no, we're not having it. That's right. So yeah, And
1: and here is the, uh, this is the protest here. This is taking place this Saturday. This is in in Austria, so this is this is quite a big uh, this is quite a big deal potentially. So I don't know if they're going to have um, you know total compliance on this. I don't know if Alex wants to uh, to to comment on this story.
0: Alex, very quickly. Yes, absolutely. Alex, we're we're just about on the uh, stops for time, so short on this one, please.
2: Patrick has absolutely covered the the best article on this by the French uh, site Info du Jour. And he was quite right to draw attention to uh, Manfred Heidinger, the um, uh, union head of the Austrian Armed Forces, pointing out that actually they believe in the Constitution. Twenty, twenty five years ago when I was uh, an Austrian uh, exchange student in Austria, I noticed that the young teenagers about to be conscripted saw promises hung on the walls of their schools by the armed forces saying, we promise that you will only be given constitutional orders. We promise you'll never be deployed abroad. They take that seriously actually. The Austrians have a good moral history in that regard. I know some people will smirk and think collaboration and whatever, but there was a lot more to it than that. And uh, nor is Heidinger the only union boss. Also the uh, head of the police trade union who also heads up the social, Democrat, uh, social democratic trade union uh, body in uh, in Austria, the FSG, uh, whose name is Hermann Greilinger has pointed out uh, in an interview with the, uh, the weekly Wochenblick that the police are not capable of enforcing this. And as uh, Patrick mentioned with regard to Paris, so likewise in Vienna, police have already been putting their helmets down and joining the ranks of the protesters.
0: Okay, thank you, Alex. So from,
1: thank you, Alex. So from a British point of view, uh, you know, how would this fly in other European countries? How would it fly in the UK if there was a targeted lockdown, a lockdown of the unvaccinated? Well, YouGov was uh, quick to the punch on this, Brian here. We'll put this up on screen. They claim, this is the claim from YouGov, that 58% of Britons would support having a similar policy in the UK. Now, do you really believe that that is true?
0: Well, I don't, but I don't believe much that comes out of YouGov or the government itself, Patrick, so it's easy with me.
1: So this is really a pro-vaccine poll result here, but I might point out I might point out that, who is the founder of YouGov? Oh, Does yeah. that man look familiar to it, you?
0: That's Anton LaVey, surely.
1: Well, yes, the otherwise known as Nazim Zawari. He's the vaccines minister for the UK. Funny coincidence there. He's also the founder of YouGov polling here. So, you know, I would question uh, the integrity.
0: In- independence, in, we would question the independence.
1: There's conflicts of interest all over the place here. And really just getting down to the argument, which is do lockdowns work? That is the fundamental uh, question, Brian. And so this is the Brownstone Institute here. And if you look at this, this is one of many articles, lockdowns fail, they do not control the virus. And what this article does is it lists a whole bunch of peer-reviewed studies that show and prove on so many different levels. Here's one that lockdowns do not work. There's another study there and there's another study. In total, there's about 32 peer-reviewed studies on this particular article and right. they have another database that has 90 uh, articles scientific peer reviewed articles that prove that lockdowns do not work so why are governments still clinging to this medieval policy it's a
0: weapon it's a political agenda to create a different society so, so I think 38 we're
1: there. 38 studies in this in this article here so right. i mean look and and not only that let's just also just remind people on the on the issue of immunity this is the lancet this has just come out recently, this is November 8th. I don't know if you've covered this or not yet on your program, but uh, natural immunity, what are the what are the takeaways here? Risk of repeat infection decreases 80 to 100%, uh, and only 0.7% became reinfected, 0% became reinfected in some cases uh, on that statistic, and the fr- f- frequency of death due to a repeat infection was what?
0: 0. Not, uh, 0.01%. not point zero one
1: percent. So, so that that's just another knock against this this idea that uh, a lockdowns work, that b people with natural immunity are are not protected. Those those are patently false. But yet, all of the policies we're seeing by government, they're still
0: uh, going in the other direction. They're
1: riding roughshod over the over the actual science.
0: Right, Patrick. We're going to have to end there. I'm going to say straight off, Alex. Thank you very much for joining us. We did have quite a lot of other material to talk about, but we're on the stops for time. Patrick, thank you. Uh, What's the final message for our UK Column viewers? Uh, It's got to be that a lot of information coming out through UK Column. Please check it, research yourselves. And if you're happy that what we're saying and what you find is true, share it with other people, because ultimately this is an information war. If the government's using lies and propaganda, We've got to use the truth back. And remember the famous uh, saying that action conquers fear. Don't sit at home sweating over what's happened. Do something, even if it's a very small thing. Send a letter, email, uh, get the Twitter going, and uh, you will feel better as a result. So thank you very much to all our viewers uh, for joining us, viewers and listeners. I'm going to say a big thank you to Stephanie, who's operated the studio for us today. She's done a a sterling job. We are unable to do an extra time today. uh, But uh, I think the news has given you a lot to think about. So we're going to say thanks to everybody for joining us. And uh, we will be back at the same time on Friday. Bye bye.